wow, do you not feel like giving a big hallelujah? <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Yes. That's the God that we have, the one who never leaves us or forsakes us. So we're going to continue today, we're going to finish off this great chapter on faith that we have been looking at over these past weeks, chapter 11 of Hebrews. And I wanted to read it to you, the last few verses, and the first verse of chapter 12. And I'm going to read it right through, and then we'll take it from there. So I'm going to read it to you uh, in one version, and then I'm going to read it to you again in the message. So you're going to get it twice. Okay, so from Hebrews 11, verse 32, after, after the writer of the Hebrews has been telling us through this chapter about all these amazing people who did all these amazing exploits. Abraham, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, all these people. Last week we looked at Joshua and Rahab. And after this big lineup, here's what he says then in verse 32. And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens, women received their dead, raised to life again. Others, this is like another section, others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and of imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two. They were tempted, they were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted and tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains, in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. Therefore, because of all that, we also... Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking on to Jesus. Now I want to read this in the message. Here's what he says. I could go on and on, but I've run out of time. There are so many more, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, the prophets. Through acts of faith, these people toppled kingdoms. They made justice work. They took the promises for themselves. They were protected from lions, fires, and sword thrusts. They turned disadvantage to advantage. They won battles. They routed the alien armies. Women received their loved ones back from the dead. There were those who under torture refused to give in and go free, preferring something better, resurrection. Others braved abuse and whips, and yes, chains and chains and dungeons. We have stories of those who were so stoned and sawn in two, murdered in cold blood, stories of vagrants wandering the earth in animal skins, homeless, friendless, powerless. The world didn't deserve them, making their way as best they could on the cruel edges of the world. 
Not one of these people, even though their lives were full of faith, were exemplary. They got their, they got their hands. Not one of these people, even though their, faith, their lives of faith were exemplary, got their hands on what was promised. God had a better plan for us. That their faith and our faith would come together to make one completed whole. Their lives of faith not complete apart from ours. And then we'll just read in the message the last, uh, the next verse in chapter 12. Do you see what all this means? All these pioneers who blazed the way. All these veterans cheering us on. It means we had better get on with it. Strip down. Start running and never quit. No extra spiritual fat. No parasitic sins. Keep your eyes on Jesus who both began and finished this race that we are in. That's the reading for today. I just felt it was really important to just read that in one piece before we get going. Because all the previous verses that we have looked at in chapter 11 have been about all these Old Testament, faith, Old Testament saints who did amazing exploits for God. And it's like this man, it's like the writer is saying, look, I could just go on telling you, look, here's a whole lot more. And he just like throws out a few more names. And he's saying all these people, he says, they, they, they won a victory. He's saying, surely you've got to understand by now. I've told you about all these other people. Surely you know that faith in God's the answer. Surely by now you've got the secret that you need to believe God. You need to have faith in God. And so we're going we're gonna to see here as we look at these verses and go through this, we're going to see that these witnesses, that some of them got victory over circumstances and some of them got victory in the circumstances. And I don't know which camp you're in today, but I want to talk first of all about the ones who got the victory over circumstances. And we've got um, this wee verse, well, let's just read it again. This verse where it says, Through acts of faith they toppled kingdoms, they made justice work. You see, there's a list of things about what they did. They, they, they toppled kingdoms, they, it says they made justice work, they took promises. They claimed God's promises and made God's promises their own. These were people that God protected from the lands. Remember Daniel. I mean, you could start to name all, so many of these people. These were people who, who went through fire and, and the sword, who turned disadvantage to advantage. Another translation says, out of weakness were made strong. You know, today I wonder, as I just look across all of your faces, I wonder how many of you are in a place of weakness today in a place where you just feel you're at a disadvantage, where the enemy has come against you with circumstances. And I know even from just being in the prayer room that we've, we've prayed for people who are going through stuff at the moment. But you know what? We've, we've still got a God. He's still the God who, who brings, you, brings you strong out of your weakness. We have still got a God who can, who can topple the kingdom of darkness. We have got a God who is stronger than the enemy. And, you know, these, these people, they, they, they pushed through and they saw God winning for them and getting victory for them. But you can do the same. I wonder today if you're feeling that you're just in this kingdom of darkness. Are you feeling that darkness is trying to come around you? You know, we have an enemy 
we know that we are saved and that moment of salvation I just feel it's so important again to remind ourselves that just in case there's somebody here who has come in this morning and maybe you, you're kind of thinking this is this is interesting but but what's it all about or maybe you've never actually come into connection with Jesus Christ as your saviour if there's anybody here and you know about God but you don't know him through the person of Jesus I want to really say to you today that Jesus loves you that he died for you, that he paid the price for your sin and that he wants to take you out of the kingdom of darkness because the Bible says we were all born in sin. We were born into the kingdom of darkness. But when you come face to face with the claims of Jesus Christ, that he died on the cross for you, that he paid the price for your sin to transfer you from one kingdom to the other and that at that moment of receiving Christ as your saviour, and if you've never had that moment, please come up afterwards and we will, we will pray with you and with God's help, we will help you to make that choice to step out of darkness into light because we we're meant to be children of the light. We're meant to know the joy of living in the kingdom of light and not the kingdom of darkness. And God wants you to know that there are two kingdoms and that you were born in the one and you need to be transferred into the other. Paul writes in Acts chapter 26, verse 8, he says his prayer is that God was going to use him to see eyes opened, that people would turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. You know, we're born in sin. We're born in, born in darkness. But Jesus Christ died to bring us into his kingdom of light so that we could actually be empowered to bring light to others around us into this world of darkness, into this evil world. And of course, Isaiah 9 verse 2 prophesied about that, that into the darkness would come a great light. And when Jesus came, he said, I'm the light of the world. And he is the one who came to bring us light. Matthew 4 verse 6 says, The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And for those who lived in the land where death has... In, they've seen a great light... In for the, um, I can hardly read my own writing here for those who have lived uh, they've seen a great light and for those who have lived in the light in the land where death has cast a shadow God has his light has shone I can hardly read that because my writing is so bad apologies I wrote that very early this morning a light has shined listen Jesus came to be the light in your darkness and the light in my darkness I love Ephesians 5 and 8 it says once you were full of darkness but now you have light from the Lord so live as people of light for this light within you produces only what is good and right and true so we are living in the kingdom this world is a kingdom of darkness but we've been transferred because of what Jesus did on the cross into the kingdom of light and so we can overcome the darkness do you know that when you turn the light on it dispels the darkness and, and we actually can see this fulfilled in our lives, that we can see the kingdom of darkness top up. We can see God shining light in dark places. That's an amazing thing for us to experience in a far greater way than Abraham or Moses or anybody else did. God's saying, listen, you can do these things. You can overcome the darkness. And not only that, but these people, it says that they, some of them toppled kingdoms and made justice work and took the promises for themselves. And you know, God is a God of justice. And God wants us not only to shine his light, 
but to pray for his justice and for his purposes to come to pass. And, and even in the prayer in this morning, I think it was the Lord who talked about that sense of people who are suffering unjustly and who breaks God's heart because he's a God of justice. God's a God of love. You know, yesterday, or last night, Jane and I were talking and she was saying about that guy, Stephen Fry. Lord bless that man. I don't know if any of you have heard the latest spewing out of his mouth of hatred, of pure hatred towards God. And you know, I felt my heart broke for him and I just thought, you know, he's talking about the wrong father. He's talking about the father of lies. He's talking about the father that Jesus warned us about. The, the father of lies, the one who is murdering his heart from the beginning. He has not got a glimpse of our heavenly father who is full of love. He's talking about the God of this world that does bring evil and is evil. He's got his eyes on the wrong God. He needs to get his eyes focused on Jesus Christ. He needs to see that, that, that God loved the world so much that he gave his only beloved son. And we need to pray for that man that light may dawn into his darkened soul because he's full of bitterness and he's full of darkness. And he's looking at the wrong, he's looking at the wrong father. And so, ladies, I want to say to you that God wants you to be experiencing, even in your everyday life, that you can overcome the kingdom of darkness. That you can see justice done. That you can see people being set free from the bondage that the enemies brought them around. So many people are in bondage to drink and in bondage to alcohol and, 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 and drugs and, and, and bondage to wrong, abusive relationships, in bondage to all kind of, kind of sins, in bondage to, to materialism, whatever it might be, Satan wants to put a big chain around you and it's, it's, he wants to bring you to a place where, where you're going to suffer. And Jesus Christ died and to, to, to be able to set you free and still be a just God. That's the kind of God that he is and he wants you to experience his freedom and he wants you to be one who will bring his justice to the earth and tell others about how good he is oh i just love this that through faith it's impossible to see god working justice in this world and by faith it says that these people claimed and saw the promises of god coming to pass i wonder if you're aware of how many promises god has in his word for you and I wonder if you're actually laying hold of those promises. Because I'll tell you what Abraham did. And so did Moses and all of the people in, the, in, the, in chapter 11 of the Hebrews. They laid hold of God's promises and they proved them. And now it's like he's saying, what about you? You can do the same. Only we're going to see as we continue here, we can do it in a far greater measure. There are promises in God's word that he wants you to lay hold of. And I just jotted down a few of them here. Isaiah 54 and 17, no weapon that's formed against you shall prosper. Have you claimed that? You need to claim that promise for yourself. Isaiah 61, he's a God who heals the broken heart. Have you got a broken heart? Then God can bring you into a place of healing. And he can do it. Through, he can do it supernaturally in a moment through your salvation or he can bring you on a journey of prayer prayer ministry where light where God shines his light into your heart and where he very gradually and over a period of time brings healing and there's a lot of broken hearted people around us and that's the kind of healing they need but it's God who is the healer and he wants you to know that he's a God who heals the broken hearted he's a God who promises that if we confess our sin 
that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from every unrighteousness. We need to claim those promises. And he's a God who, Jeremiah 29, 11, he's a God who he knows the plans that he has for you. Not to harm you. He wants you to claim those promises. And he wants to give you a hope in the future. These are all promises that you can claim. John 3, 16, if you don't know Jesus as your saviour, for God so loved the world that he gave his only beloved son, that whosoever believes in him, Shall not perish, but shall have everlasting, eternal life. That's not just for the length of it, but that's the quality of it. And it starts now, and that's a promise. And if you haven't got on the starting block yet to know Jesus, that's a promise for you. Malachi 3 and 10 says, Bring all the tithes into the storehouse and prove me if I will not open for you the windows of heaven. God wants us to bring our best to him. He wants us to surrender to him. And he's promised he will open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing. I wonder if any particular one of those verses is a specific promise that God wants you to claim. Because do you know what? How do you claim it? By faith. You lay hold of it by faith and you make it yours. I wonder if any of those verses touched you today. I believe God wants to work in our hearts today. And he wants us to know the power of who he is and how much he loves us. And we're told here that, that some of the, in, the, in these Old Testament saints that out of weakness they were made strong. And I believe that you need to know today that he can do the same for you. In fact, you know what he loves to do? He loves to do his best work in your weakness. I just love that. I love the fact that... that that he, that he can make you, that, that through your weakness, that he can make you strong. Uh, we're we're going we're gonna, to, really our theme today is about running this race for God. And we're building up to that. But you need to see that all of these Old, Old Testament saints, they were running the race. They were obtaining promises. They were overcoming, they were toppling down the kingdom of darkness. Even without, looking forward to Jesus, but they were doing it in faith. And God, I believe, wants you to know that he loves to use weak people. And he loves to make them strong. So I've been just looking very briefly at some quotes from Christine Kane. She's a, 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 an amazing speaker uh, from, from Australia, from Hillsong. And she's written a couple of books about running. And uh, I, I just grabbed a couple of her quotes. And uh, she, says that, uh, she says that God deliberately chooses imperfect vessels I just love this. God deliberately chooses the wounded, those with physical or emotional limitations. Then he prepares them to serve and he sends them out with their weakness still in evidence so that his strength can be made perfect in their weakness. That's what God deliberately loves to do. I wonder if you got a hold of that. I wonder if the enemy has been telling you you're too weak. You couldn't do anything for God. Well, God loves to take the weak things of this world and to confound them, I think. God wants you to know that he can use your weakness. I can do all things to the Apostle Paul through Christ who strengthens me. Do you need strength today? Well, listen, all the resources of God's strength are available to you. God wants you to know that he loves you. God wants you to know that he is for you and not against you. And so, you know, as we look at these Old Testament saints, we see that, that many of them were just 
that were, all of them were just weak human beings. Every one of them. And over these past weeks, we've looked at Abraham and Moses and all of these guys, and we've got excited about it and we've said, wow, look what they did. But listen, God wants you to know that you can do even more than that. And we're building up to that today. And so those are the people in, the, in this in this. In this chapter, we've just been looking at all of these people over these weeks. And all of these people got victory over their circumstances. And God wants you to know you can get victory over your circumstance. But then it goes on today, and we were reading it. It goes on to say that some of them, it says there were others. And it seems these other, others got victory in their circumstance. It says in the message, there were those who under torture refused to give in and go free, preferring something better, resurrection. Others braved abuse and whips and yes, chains and dungeons and it goes on and on, we've already read it. And yet these people, it says, not one of these people, even though their lives of faith were exemplary, not one of them got their hands in what was promised. It seems that they didn't, there wasn't an easy way out for some of them. Some of them, yes, they got victory over the circumstances. Abraham got victory. Moses got victory. But there were others who didn't get victory over things. But they got victory in the thing, in the circumstance. And you know what? I'm going to suggest to you, that's an even greater victory. And you see, I believe that God wants us to understand that this, and here's what it says in the, in the, in the Spirit-filled Bible notes, the same faith that enables some to escape trouble, enables others to endure it. I want to read that again to you. It's the same faith that enables some to escape trouble, enables others to endure it. The same faith that delivers some from death, enables others to die victoriously. Faith is not a bridge over troubled waters. It doesn't mean you escape all the troubles, but it's a pathway through the troubled waters. Listen, if you're going through a tough time at the minute, I'll tell you something, that God can take you through it. And all he wants you to do is to look up and say, I'm going to trust you. I'm putting my faith in you. And you know, he, can, he, can, he, he knows what you're capable of. He knows what you're ready for. And listen, he'll either take you out of it or he'll take you through it. He is a God who can, who can enable you and empower you to escape trouble or to take you through the trouble. And so God, I believe, wants us to understand that he can do that. And a guy called Vernon McKee, he's written a commentary. He says, there are many people who have demonstrated their faith by winning battles and by being delivered. But there are others, multitudes of them, who have suffered for the faith. And he goes on to say that these are the ones who are the greatest the greatest saints. I want to ask you a question. If you had a serious, serious problem, who would you go to with that problem? Somebody who has never had a problem or somebody who's come through the middle? Who would you go to? You know, people who suffer, they either get bitter or they become more and more beautiful and radiant to Christ. And the most radiant people on this planet are people who have come through trouble. Do you believe me? If you're going through trouble today, I want to tell you that that trouble can work for you. I want to tell you that that trouble that you're going through today can make you so beautiful and so radiant for Christ that you can see stuff happening in your life that you could never have seen happening if you'd had the easy path. 
Do you believe me for that? I am telling you the truth that the ones who go through the mill and, and really life is tough, that God does something beautiful in them. And you know, I just love what it says in the scriptures about this because it tells us in Romans 8, you know the chapter that talks about Abba Father and we're joint heirs with Christ and all of that. And then it goes on to say, for if we suffer with him, we shall be glorified together with him. There's something about suffering that actually brings about the glory of Christ where people notice the shining and the weight of glory over us because we've come through the mill. And do you know what it means? It means that those of us who are going through tough times just look to Jesus and trust him and allow him to make you radiant and allow him to prepare you in a greater way to carry his glory and to be a greater light to those around you. That's what God does with suffering. I often say to people, for any sake, don't waste your suffering. Don't waste these difficult days that you're in right now. Give them to God and and see what he can do with them. That he can make you radiant out of those tough times and he can make you into one who carries his glory and shows the world more of his beauty. It says in... In 2 Corinthians 1, verse, uh, sorry, yes, 2 Corinthians 1, chapter 4, verse 17. Our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Philippians 3, the Apostle Paul said that I might know him in the power of his resurrection and in the fellowship of his sufferings. I'll tell you, and those of you who have come through dark times you will know that there is a fellowship of suffering when you're going through a difficult season there is a fellowship of suffering there is a presence of christ around you that is different to when times are easy anybody put a hand up to that anybody agree with me there is something that god does in your darkest hour that draws you close and you know do you know the key to that the key is saying yes lord i'm going to trust you it's faith. It's what we've been talking about all these weeks. It's about without faith, it says in, in Hebrews 11, it's impossible to please God without faith. For those that come to him must believe that he's a God, a good God, and must come to him believing who he is. He is a God who loves us to look up and trust him and put our faith. And that releases him to work all of these things together for good. And so he's a God who can take you out of stuff. And he's a God who can take you through stuff. And even in the worst situation, he can make it a, a, a situation that at the end of it you look back and you say, God, I wouldn't have missed that. I look back over my own life and I see dark days in the 90s and in, in the early 2000s. I can see dark days going through separation and divorce. That was my particular difficult time. That, those were days that, that I look back on and sometimes I think, Lord, how did I ever get through those days? But you know what? If it wasn't for those days, I wouldn't be doing this today. Listen, let God use the difficult days. Let him, let him use it to, do, to, to, to just come and touch you in fresh ways and to turn the light up and to prepare you for what he has for you. And so it says that, that many of these Old Testament saints, they had tremendous victories and they had their eyes on Jesus. But there were other ones and they didn't actually obtain the victories. They, they had to suffer and they died for their faith. I mean, Isaiah apparently, historians tell us that Isaiah was sawn too. That's historical. Isaiah, who wrote the book of Isaiah, the wonderful witness for God. 
And, and I read somewhere recently that some of the, I think it's the who recorded that he never uttered a word, but he kept his mouth and sang in the spirit as, 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 as he was sung Sunday. These were people who suffered for Christ. And Isaiah says, prophesied that he, he would, the one who would come, who would be our Messiah. He would prophesy about Jesus, for he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Sometimes the people that God's going to use the most go through the greatest trials. God, I believe, wants us to get a grip on this, that he's a God who will take us through, and he's a God who wants us to have faith, no matter what is going on in your life. What were the promises that they didn't receive? Well, they didn't receive, they looked ahead to the Messiah. They, they, didn't, they looked to the cross, in front, they, they were looking up to the cross. They didn't receive the new covenant. They were looking forward to it in faith. We looked back to it. And we looked back to the cross. And now we have the Holy Spirit. After Jesus died, he sent the Holy Spirit into the world to come and live in us. So we have the Holy Spirit within us. And back in the Old Testament, all of those old saints, the Holy Spirit came to rest upon them at certain times, but they didn't carry the Spirit within them. We have, the, we, have, we have obtained this promise. We have actually the Spirit of God inside us. We are walking tabernacles, carrying Christ, the very presence of Christ. We have obtained the promise, but God wants us. He wants more for us. He wants us to look back now on all of these Old Testament people and see that even though they didn't, even though they didn't have what we have, as they looked forward and they ran their race. And then we jump into Hebrews chapter 12. And this is the main part of what I want to say today. We jump into Hebrews 12 and it's like the writer of the Hebrews is saying, now look, you've been, you've been heard. I've been telling you all about those Old Testament saints. I've told you about how all of them, they did so well and they ran the race and, and you've seen the things they've done and you've seen the things that they've come through. And it's like the writer saying, now look, they're a big cloud of witnesses. They're witnesses to what I can do through a human being who will yield themselves to me and put their faith in me. And it's like the writer of the Hebrews is saying, look, do you see those witnesses? Then you need to realise that I'm setting a race for you to run. And if they can do it, so can you. And you can do it even better than them because you've got the Holy Spirit to empower you. And so the call is, are we going to run this race. I, I love the way the um, I love the way the message puts it. Do you see what all this means? Today we've we've we've, we've just covered. We've just finished the chapter, the great hero of faith, of Hebrews chapter eleven. We've just finished looking at all of these amazing people, and now that we're just hit into into Hebrews chapter twelve, and it's like he's saying, "Do you see what all that means?" All of those pioneers, all of those witnesses, they blazed the trail. They're cheering us on. Do you not realise that, that, that they're a witness to you and they're actually cheering us on? And we often, we often get this picture of all of those Old Testament saints and they're up in heaven and they're looking down along with our loved ones and others who have gone before and they're saying, go for it, this is your time. Listen, this is your time to be on the earth. This is your race. We've been looking at all of these people in chapter 11 in Hebrews. And we've seen that they did amazing exploits. But look, this Hebrews 12, this is your time. This is your time to run the race. This is your time to get your foot on the block. 
This is your time to say, God, I'm going to run for you. And it says here in the message, that means we better get on with it. We better strip down, start running, and never quit. You know, whenever I was a wee girl, I'm talking, I must have been around about six or seven. I might have been eight, I'm not sure, but I was definitely no older than eight. I went to a primary school out in my island, and I remember the first time ever I experienced running a race, and it was a sports day. And I can remember, it's an amazing way, and the age of me now, and I can remember that race so well, my first race. And I loved to run as a child. And I remember they told us, got us all lined up. I told this story before, but maybe you haven't heard before. And they got us all lined up, and they told us to run, and there was a ribbon at the bottom going right across. So I was running, I started well, and I was running my heart out. And when I got to the end, I thought you have to stop at the ribbon. So I jammed the brakes on, and I stopped at the ribbon, and somebody else went past me. And I didn't win the race. And I never forgot that. I never forgot that. <laughs> but I, and I remember saying, oh, <laughs> Do you know what? The enemy does not want you to run through. He does not want you to run that way. He wants you somewhere, and he doesn't even want you to get anywhere near the finish line. He wants to take you out long before that. And he wants you to stop running the race. In fact, he doesn't even want you to start. And I jotted down here some of the things that, uh, that Satan will do to try and stop you. Before I, I mention some of these things, I think it's really important to say that if we're going to run a race in the natural, we should get ourselves fit. Would you agree? Yeah, yeah. Now, I, I know Laurie, I was talking to Laurie about that, and you were preparing for the marathon. Did you ever run it? Did you run it? Anyway, I told you last week that I'm starting to do a bit of exercise and I shared with you we got a bike and that I was doing two and a half minutes every other day. <laughs> We've now got it up to seven and a half minutes yesterday. We're working on it. And it's going to be seven and a half minutes every day, all day long. So, you know, from, I mean, it's like two minutes, you know, just going a bit and then we do a blast of 30 seconds. And the legs are going to And somehow, when you know it's only 30 seconds, you can keep going. You're puffing and patting, and you go slowly again for another two minutes. So, we're working up, we're getting ourselves fit in the natural. That's really good. In the natural, if you're going to run on a race, you should get yourself fit. You shouldn't go out and run a marathon because you'll drop dead somewhere along the line. <laughs> you need to prepare your body that you can run. Another thing you need if you're going to be a runner in the natural, you need to have plenty of water with you. Would you agree with me? Now, whenever we go to Israel, everybody has to have water, and you're carrying water all the time. You're just drinking the heat. You're just carrying, carrying, drink, drink, drink. Well, it's the same if you're going to drink, run a race. You need to keep the, the body fluids. And you see, the water, the Bible talks about water as the Word of God. You need to keep plenty of the Word of God in you if you're going to run the spiritual race. And so this is a preparation. Keep the body fluid, keep the, the water of the Word in, coming into you. Get yourself really well, you know, feel your thirst. Don't be thirsty if you're going to run the spiritual race. And, uh, you know, through the, last week, I think it was last Thursday, Daphne, who's around here somewhere, Daphne and I went down to an event, a Christian event down in Belfast. Um, I'm smiling because it was in King, is it King's Pan? 
I always feel like it's in King's Plan, but it's not in King's Plan. The stadium down there, and it was, it was the, um, in the rugby stadium, and they had, the speaker was the chief executive of uh, Ulster Rugby, and he was, a, he was a Christian and gave an amazing, very, very motivational talk, and then we had um, um, uh, Alan Scott from, uh, what do you call it, uh, Vineyard up in Coleraine. So it was a really, really good day, but they'd give us a bit of a tour around the stadium. And really, really interesting to look down into the gym and see, you know, them all, all, all Rory Bessnell and one by we're looking down Rory Bessnell and they're all doing their exercise and all. And, uh, you know, it was very, very enlightening. But I thought, I just find it fascinating because they started to tell us that, you know, they make a particular diet for every single one of them to uh, match, you know, where, what they need for their body. So they give them food, all their food's prepared for them, and they give them the exact diet that they need. And I just thought to myself, you know, really, we need God's diet on his word. If we're going to run this race, we need the Holy Spirit to prepare the word of God and to speak into our hearts and give us the right spiritual diet to get us physically fit. And, you know, it's only the Holy Spirit who can take God's word and put it into your heart. And so that's why we're so dependent here on a Tuesday morning, because I can't do it. I mean, I could get up here and fumble about here. It's no good. It needs to be the Holy Spirit who takes his word and puts it right into your heart. And so we are trusting the Holy Spirit to give you the right spiritual diet. And as we look down in Rory Best and all some of these other guys, we were told as well, that as well as that, that they they keep the exact temperature in that room. They have built in such a way that there's a certain amount of air comes in, so the air is circulating all the time to keep it exactly the right temperature, that it doesn't get too hot or, you know, where they're getting sluggish. It has to be exactly the right temperature. And I was thinking to myself, what's the air like around you? Is it a bit blue sometimes? You know, how, how clean is the air around us? Are we breathing deeply from the Holy Spirit? Are we enjoying God? Are we bringing him everywhere we go? These are all things that we need if we're going to be spiritually fit. These guys down there in Belfast, this Ulster Rugby, they're there to, to win. They're there to, to, well, they're not running the race, but they're, they're playing the game. And it's the same thing. And, and they need to be fit. And listen, if you want to run for God, and I know you do or you would not be here this morning, then you need to be spiritually fit. And it says here, uh, do you see what this means? It means we better get on with it. Strip down and start running. What does that mean? It means if you don't go to run a race in the natural with a big heavy top coat on you and a pair of, um, of boots. You strip down, you get down, you get the, the stuff on, you get into your run. In the natural, you wear lightest clothes and you wear a pair of light sandals. I read somewhere the other day about somebody who was a great, somebody in America years ago and they said about going to see this guy running around the first lap and then he took the sandals, the, the, the shoes off and that looked fine, but he put another pair on because they were just fractionally a bit lighter. The little, the, the, just a little bit made the difference in either winning or losing the race. And so God wants us to get into the right shoes. And what are the right shoes? The right shoes are the shoes of the gospel of peace. We talked about them in the, in the prayer room. We need to be, you need to be saved. You need to know who you are in Christ and that you've got, you've got the shoes of the gospel on your feet, that you're walking in salvation, that you're saved, that you belong to God. Those are the right shoes for you to run the race. 
And so uh, if we're going to strip down, we need to make sure we're not wearing big boots, but we're wearing the right footwear. And we need to make sure we're not wearing big cumbersome stuff around us and big heavy weights. You know, the Bible talks about weights being like, you know, worries and the cares of this world. I mean, if you're going to run this spiritual race, if you've got all these big cares in this world and they're all like big weights around you, how are you going to run spiritually? Jesus said to cast your cares onto him, to cast all that stuff, to throw all your, roll all your anxieties onto him, it says. And he'll sustain you. You need to get rid of those weights and you need to get yourself on the starting block. Get your foot on the starting block and get ready to run. And sometimes running the race for God actually means waiting. Sometimes he says, I don't want you to run just yet. I want you to wait and get fit. And then I'm going, I'll, I'll shoot, I'll shoot the, the pistol when it's time for you to go. And I believe that God is all of you. You're already in training. I believe he has you here because he wants you to be in training for the spiritual journey that he has for you. And he knows every single one of you. He knows what lane you're in. He knows exactly, exactly where you are. And so God wants us to strip down and start running. And you know what? He doesn't want any extra spiritual fat. Now, I've got a bit here in the natural. I'm not doing very good at getting rid of it. But with God's help, maybe we'll shed a few pounds before Israel. Listen, what is spiritual fat? Spiritual fat, I believe, is just listening to the lies of the enemy have just come in and you've just eaten them. You don't need those lies. Get rid of that stuff. Get rid of those lies. Don't allow the lies of the enemy to just slug you down. Because if you believe what Satan says, it will stop you. So what, what's the sin? It talks here about the, the sin that so easily besets you. Let me read it to you again. Uh, I read it to you in the, in the New Living Translation. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge, huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. What is the sin? You know, I bet you if we went round every single one of you in this room, we could all say at least one or two things that get us every time. Would you agree with me? One or two little areas. Uh, I jumped down some of them. Fear and unbelief. I think that is one of the those things. Both fear and unbelief, I believe, goes together. When the enemy puts fear into you, it paralyzes you and it actually stops you believing what God says. And, and the enemy will use that to freeze you, to stop you getting into the race, to stop you going forward with God. Because, you see, if you're fearful and you're full of unbelief, then you're not reaching out in faith. You're not running in faith. This is a race of faith. This is a race where you're believing what God says. And so the enemy will try to bring in fear and unbelief. And I tell you, it comes in so subtly, in so many ways. <coughs> Uh, I love what, um, what uh, Joyce Meyer says. She says, uh, I have a couple of readings here. Isaiah 41 verse 10 says, Fear not, for I am with you. And Joyce says, I believe God works gently with us to bring us out of bondage and into liberty. If you've been afraid of something and desire to be free, the time will eventually come when you'll have to face your fear and not run away from it. Just take Jesus' hand, acknowledge that he is with you, and do it. 
It's so important that we trust what Jesus says and not what the enemy says. So he goes on to say, I want to encourage you to take an inventory in the fear department. What are you afraid of? Are there any areas in your life that you're being stifled because of fear? Satan is always going to bring fear against us at various times. It's, it's one of his major weapons. It's not a cap gun, but it's a cannon. He will try to stop you. He will try to stop you. And then she's another wee bit here, stepping out in spite of fear. All of us must learn how not to fear the fear. The devil brings fear, but you can choose not to bow your knee to it. David said, what time I am afraid, I will trust in God. It's a choice. I will trust in God. And so we need to realise that fear and unbelief will stop us from going forward. We can believe the lies of the enemy or we can believe what God's word says. Christine Cain gives an example. Uh, apparently, whenever she became an adult, she was told or she found out that she was adopted. Uh, and of course, that just threw her whole world into toss her up because her whole identity of who she thought she was turned out to be a lie. And so it, it obviously it would throw back lots of things of, of her feeling about herself and her worth and all of that. And she, she writes this, this quote, I lifted my Bible in one hand and with my other scooped up all the papers on my adoption. Both hands held paper that contained words printed in black and white. Both contained facts, yet only one held the truth. I had to choose which of these documents I would entrust with my life. What does the devil say? You know, I often say to people, it's not what happened to you that's the biggest problem. It's the lies that the enemy told you about what happened to you. Look in one hand as to what, what the enemy says and look what God says and who you're going to believe. You've got to make the choice. You've got to choose to believe what God says. The enemy says, you can't do it. God says, you can. With me, all things are possible. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You've always got that choice to make. What's one of the other things that Satan uses? Well, settling for what's comfortable. False comforts that sometimes lead to drifting instead of running and even sleeping instead of running. You know, it's so easy to think, I've done it before. Sure, sure, might as well sit back and take me ease. Getting on a bit now, sure. What do I have to be picking myself out for? It's so easy to settle for being comfortable. And so many people are finding comfort, false comfort, in all kinds of things. If your false comfort might be out of alcohol abuse or it might be out of drug abuse, but you know, your false comfort could just be out of shopping or out of spending money or out of any number of other things out of a wrong relationship. I don't know, there's so many false comforts that the enemy will try to shove into your face. I couldn't even begin to think what they are. But I'll tell you, God sees it and it's a false comfort. And alcohol is a false comfort. It does not do the deal. It just puts you further down. And God says, you know what, I want you to experience my Holy Spirit who is a true comforter. And not only a comforter, but one who strengthens you as well as comforts you. 
I've seen so many people, and I know what it's like myself, because I'll tell you, when I was going through my divorce, I'll tell you, I was longing for comfort, and it's so easy to turn to a glass or two of wine to try and get comfort. I'll tell you, it doesn't bring comfort. The comforter brings comfort. And he brings you through the darkest of days as we trust in him, and he comforts in a way that actually prepares you so that you get to know that comfort so well that you come to a place where you, you then can comfort others. That's what, that's what Second Corinthians chapter 1 says. That we would know God's comfort so that we could be a comfort to other people. And listen, God wants to comfort you. And he wants through that comfort to strengthen you so that you become strong in him and you're able to run that race. And the enemy will try to put anything false your way. It might be medication. It could be tablets. It could be taking stuff that you just, it eases stuff. Listen, that is not the thing that's going to be your helper. The one who will comfort you and be your helper and empower you to run the race for God is the one who is the true comforter, the Holy Spirit. And we need to look at But the enemy, I'm telling you, he will try to shove anything down your throat or anything into your face that will, that, will, that will hold you back. What else is there? Clutter and distraction. You know, again, um, I, I read this. Uh, I'm reading a lot from Christine Kane because she talks a lot about this. She says, we need to be willing to make room in our lives for the impending birth of our dreams. This might mean emptying our lives of clutter, such as waste of time, energy, resources, or, or, or draining relationships. These things can jeopardize our dream by distracting us when we should be more focused than ever. Listen, God wants you to get focused. And I'll tell you, do you ever notice, it, it, I notice every so often in my house, things get cluttered. Do you ever notice that? When I first moved to the house that I'm in, it was called minimalistic. <laughs> Not anymore. And I'm doing my best to get back to being called that. Because I'll tell you, there's something about clearing out the rubbish. There's something about having, having an uncluttered environment in the natural. It's very helpful in the spirit. And, and the enemy wants to clutter you with all kinds of things. It could be all legitimate stuff. But God wants to clutter you so much that actually he comes further and further down the line. And, and, and he actually stops you running. He distracts you and stops you from going for what God has for you. Hurt and disappointment can stop you. Things that have happened in the past. The enemy does not want you to run. He does not want you to be set free from the past. He wants to keep those hurts and disappointments. And we've said it earlier, God is the one who is the healer. And if there's stuff from the past that is holding you back and there's a fear on you, I've been hurt before and I'm afraid to give my all to God, I want to tell you that that's the lie of the enemy that does not want you. He wants the past to keep holding you back. That's why the Apostle Paul said, I'm letting go of the past so that I let run. Run this race with God. God wants you to let go of the past. He wants you to be healed from failure. And he does not want you to allow condemnation into your life. He wants you to be set free of it. He wants you to know that he is for you. And he wants you to know that he's with you in every season of life. Christine Kane says, in every season of life, we need to be committed to enlarging our personal capacity, even when it's not comfortable. We need to refuse to be satisfied with our latest accomplishments, as what we have accomplished is no longer our potential, because it has been already released. Listen, let the past go, even the good things. Let them go. There's more. There's far more for you to yet see God doing in your life. Go for it. Run the race. 
when we think about these particular Christians, these, the book of Hebrews was written to Hebrew Christians. That was the Jewish Christians. And the, the, the whole letter to the, to, to the Hebrews was written specifically to these Jews because the Jews, they were still living in all of the Old Testament laws and regulations. And one of the greatest weights that they were carrying was they were carrying the weight of legalism. They were carrying all of the Levitical stuff. And that was a, such a weight on them because they were thinking, well, we still have to carry all of that. Jesus wasn't really enough. We still have to go through all of this stuff in, in, in Leviticus and all of these rules and regulations that the Pharisees had brought in. And this letter was saying to them, no, Jesus has fulfilled that. So you can throw that off you and you can be free to run this race for God. Listen, legalism is one of the things that would just choke the life out of you. And it brings condemnation because you know what? We could never keep the law. And we, there's no point in trying here because we can't. We, do, we, we allow the Spirit of the Lord to come. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, He empowers us to live in a way that pleases Him. Not by keeping rules and regulations, but by the fullness of His Holy Spirit, who empowers us to live in the power of the Holy Spirit. I like that we couldn't do if we were just trying to do it out of our own effort. Legalism encourages you to use your flesh and try to work in the flesh and it just doesn't bring any joy with it. It just kills the spirit, the, 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 the legalism kills, but the spirit of God gives life and liberty. And God wants you to be free and he wants you to find that liberty where you can run. I am so, I'm so praying that you will find that you're going to start in a fresh way to run this race. We, we prayed earlier in the prayer room about, about how, um, about how uh, we had a picture of a, of a gate being opened and of, of someone springing out of the gate, ready to run for God. I would love you to catch that today. I would love that you would realise that when Jesus died on the cross for you, that he opened, he opened up the way. He opened it up and he said, look, come on. I know you. I've got a path for your life. I see exactly what's before you. And I want you to keep your eyes on me. And I want you to run this race. Next week we're going to do more in chapter 12. We're going to see that God has a specific way of bringing us forward. We're going to see that he's a race for each of us to run. Are you, here's the question, are you on the starting block? Are you sitting up in the, up there in the, what do you call that, in the, up in the sidelines there? What do you call when you're sitting up watching the match? On the stand. Are you on the stand watching? Seeing how everybody's doing. Are you down there stripped off? Spiritually lean. Spiritually fit. Have you got your foot in the starting block? I came across an old Bible yesterday and it was, I'd written something in, on this chapter on my 60th birthday. And here's what I said. And I would love you to say the same. I read it yesterday and I just went, yes, Lord. I said, Lord, I'm putting my foot on the starting block and I'm ready to run. Let me run to the end of my days and finish this race with joy. Are you ready to do it? Because I'll tell you, it doesn't just happen. It's just, they don't just happen to get off the stand somehow. Go on the race. No. You've got to make a decision. I'm getting down there. I'm getting rid of this stuff and I'm getting my foot on the starting block. And when the Lord gives the Word to go, go. Listen, it has to be intentional. It has to be intentional. You're never going to win this race if you're just lying up thinking, oh, I'll take another few tablets and lose weight. No! 
get yourself down intentionally onto the starting block and get rid of some of that gear that you don't need and throw those old boots off you and put a pair of light shoes on you and get ready to go because God has places for you to go and things for you to do that you have never yet dreamed of. Girls, get ready, get ready, get ready. Do you remember our teenage actually say, get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready? You've got to get ready for the race in the Looking on to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Somebody said to the parents, Aunt Christina, he doesn't start something not to finish it. I'll tell you, he started the work of our redemption and he's finished it when he do the same in your life. Go for it, girls. It won't just happen. You've got to make the choice to go for it in Jesus' name. We're going to stand and we're going to sing, I surrender all. Are you ready to surrender? Are you ready to throw off that stuff that's holding you back and get ready to run for God? What has he started in your life but it's not finished yet? You need to get back in the starting block. You need to trust him what's up ahead. No matter what, keep going because he works it out. Keep your eyes focused on him. He's the one who starts and he's the one who finishes. And our eyes are on him and we just praise him in Jesus' name. Father, thank you for your word. May you plant it, Lord, deeply in our hearts. Lord, that all of these Old Testament saints who look forward to you coming, now we look back. Thank you, Lord, that it pleased you to bring both of us together, those in the old and those in the new. Lord, that we are all part of your kingdom. We're going to be with you, Lord, together. Thank you, Lord, that pleases you. And thank you, Lord, that you came to die for us, to bring us life and to bring it more abundantly. And thank you, Lord, that through these challenges that you can bring joy to us, Lord, a joy to us, even in the difficulties. That is supernatural. We trust you, Father, in everything. Help us, Lord, even just now, that you, by your Spirit, would just plant those words that you want to plant in every heart and every woman, that they might leave here today knowing that you've spoken and just revitalize, re-energize, and refocus their eyes on you, Lord, to keep running this race. In Jesus' name, amen.